the culture tech thing for me is just a complete shift in mentality of how do we service our our line workers, our cooks, our servers, bartenders, hosts? How do we get them really excited about technology? Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Ben Pryor. He's the head of innovation at Spot On. He's a longtime restaurant industry vet and has moved to the other side of the table to lead the development of Spot On's restaurant and hospitality product innovation strategy with a focus on democratizing technology for hospitality businesses of all sizes. The tech discussion for restaurants has traditionally and largely landed in two places, either online reservations or drones and robots. Well, today's climate is demanding a much more robust solution to help restaurants that miraculously still have their doors open post-pandemic, but it's really hard to know where to start. The tech solutions that we're talking about today center on doing the jobs that no one likes to do, like inventory and administrative work. But they also talk about removing unnecessary steps in day-to-day job functions so that restaurants can lean into staffing challenges and build better work cultures rather than being a victim of circumstance. This is a really interesting discussion that has applications across more than just restaurants. So if you're struggling to figure out what your new operation is going to look like, this episode might help. So let's get to it. This is episode 92 of the Proven Principles podcast, Ben Pryor on the next wave of F&B technology. Enjoy. Hey, Ben, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Why don't you give everyone a rundown of, of who you are? Who's Ben Pryor and what are you up to? I've got a long storied history, uh, which starts as going to school to be a band director. Uh, was active in music in high school, along with sports. Thought I wanted to be uh, the next Mr. Holland's Opus, uh, if you remember that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those of you old enough. Right. Uh, <clears throat> did my student teaching and had an epiphany one night that I could not do that the rest of my life. And I worked in hotels and restaurants. Uh, as many do during college. And that seemed like a way more energetic, exciting, sexier uh, version of work versus teaching a high school band in a rural district (laughs) to seven kids. (laughs) Um, So as they say, the rest is history. And uh, actually just celebrated my 30th year in the business this year. Wow. Wow. God, it goes fast, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Uh, so you you got into the what the, the hospitality industry, restaurant industry. What was it that kept you in there? It's a it's a tough way. We all know it's a tough way to make a living. And anybody who makes it as long as you have, as long as a lot of listeners have, uh, there's always, there's always something that just keeps you coming back for more. What is what do you think it is? Interestingly, I worked at the Marriott. Uh, full-service property right next to the University of Dayton, uh, where I was going to music school and was not super excited about the hotel business. Um, I did my first few weekend manager on duty shifts as a banquet (laughs) manager, uh, like three or four days straight over a holiday weekend. Uh, Valentine's Day was a memorable event for me in a bad way. Hmm. Um, that almost drove me out of the hospitality business at a young age. Um, but a, a new restaurant opened up and I was like, hey, I, I want to try the actual restaurant business because I'd done catering in hotels uh, as a teenager and ended up ditching uh, the hotel life, went into full service restaurant, 
uh, upscale casual dining restaurant called J. Alexander's at the time. Um, <clears throat> and that's really what propelled me into the career I've had uh, was that shift. Uh, I liked the fact that it closed uh, at some point during the night. <laughs> that's a great um, point. Yes. So much different. I still got to really scratch that, uh, that hospitality itch. Um, you know, the, my desire to be a, a servant, um, you know, heart for hospitality, whatever cliche you want to use, um, still got to, to invest in that, uh, work with a great team of people, a lot of energy, uh, love seeing people smile, but I also loved when we locked the doors and we all got to go out for a drink and, uh, and then go home. Um, so I think that's kind of what sustained me. I'm not sure I'd still be here uh, if I'd stuck in the hotel business, um, but really loved restaurant and, and hospitality in a bigger sense. Yeah. So how did you make your way to spot on? Yeah, that's a fairly recent change. Uh, as I mentioned, 30 years in the business, I celebrated by leaving day-to-day uh, -to -day restaurant operations. And I, I'd grown up in culinary operations, front of house ops. Uh, then that led me into training and development, really got to utilize some of my passion for teaching. Uh, the reason I went to college was able to merge that with my love for the restaurant business and then um, had the opportunity actually for about 10 years to work at Noodles & Company as a small startup in Denver. I uh, grew that company to about 350 locations, IPO. I uh, learned a ton along the way. Uh, one of those things being as part of the training team is pretty much every rollout other than a limited time offering for a menu item or an HR initiative was pretty much tech focused. Uh, and my dad was a techie growing up in Austin, Texas. Uh, he had an early computer, uh, worked in a computer firm in Austin in the 70s. So we were always kind of the early adopter household, had the you know $25,000 plasma TV that uh, was pretty, <laughs> <laughs> my dad had to have the first of everything. Yeah. Um, and my my mom more bezel uh, than screen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had a Betamax player, you name it, laser disc, the whole deal. Um, you know, most of those were a failure. Uh, but I I always loved tech, uh, and then through the training and rollout process at Noodles and Company, I got to really learn a whole lot about restaurant technology and uh, really opened my eyes to the future of what that could be. Uh, you know, we were one of the first organizations that rolled out uh, Olo, that's now a public online ordering company, when they were still, I think, 10 people at that company. Uh, that was a, a rollout initiative that we did when I was part of the training team there uh, and really got excited about the future of hospitality and how tech could enable it. Uh, and I'm sure we'll probably spend the next little while talking about uh, some of the pitfalls of that oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. or successes of that uh, that I've seen along the way. But that that's really what got me interested in tech. Joined uh, a company called Dewey's Pizza after the Noodles IPO as uh, a regional pizza brand that uh, was really steeped in in that tradition of full service hospitality, team service. Mm -hmm. uh, subscribed to you know the Danny Meyer uh, mm -hmm. setting the table kind of concepts. Uh, you know, take care of your team, and your team will take care of your guests. Uh, was really drawn to that organization. Also, didn't have to travel, so my family was happy about that. Um, and that's where I was the last 10 years or so and had the opportunity to partner with Spot On as a client. Uh, and then eventually uh, ended up joining them because I really believed in Spot On's mission to uh, democratize enterprise technology for small business and 
make technology accessible to every type of business uh, at every size along the journey. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody's not familiar with Spot On, what what do you guys do? Yeah, we uh, are a hospitality and retail technology company. So I represent the restaurant facing portion of the organization, uh, but we also do have uh, quite a few clients that are in every kind of services business. So you think automotive dealerships, salon, et cetera. So we have a suite of appointments and payments uh, platforms that service every kind of retail business out there. Um, and then about three years ago, uh, Spot On really shifted into a restaurant focus. Um, and that's when I be- actually became a client of theirs on behalf of Dewey's Pizza uh, with a restaurant point of sale system and a lot of ancillary, uh, you know, digital ordering, loyalty, um, you know, all kinds of technology pieces as well that service restaurants. So you think mm-hmm. about kind of a restaurant in a box concept. Yeah. Um, you know, our goal at Spot On for restaurants, especially for SMBs, is to have a complete product that doesn't break the bank. Um, and that's accessible for every mom and pop business owner out there to be able to understand their customers, et cetera. You know, most restaurants in America do not have a huge IT department and <laughs> want to spend $3,000 a month per location for all these yeah. SaaS platforms, et cetera. So uh, yeah. that's really where we're focused. And that's a really good point. You know, the, the restaurant on the corner right now, they the one that's still open since the pandemic they're still open, but you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They may have how many mortgages on their house, um, you know, how many loans out, way underwater. Sure, the doors are open, but yeah, they don't have the money to spend on technology. That said, though, we're going to kind of lead into this here. You know, you're an industry guy that's joined a tech company, which is interesting in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you can speak both languages, <laughs> the tech side, right, and then the industry side. But somebody who's got, who wears both of those hats now, from your perspective, what's the biggest challenge facing the restaurant industry right now? I mean, we've all heard about staffing and, you know, that that's always been an issue. Um, you know, rising food costs, that's an issue, always been an issue periodically. So aside from those two obvious ones, is there anything that you've seen that nobody's talking about? Yeah, totally agree with you on, uh, yes, the pandemic amplified some things. They've been issues for the 30 years I've been in the business. Um, you know, I think 2007, eight, probably the last time we all talked about all the pain. Um, it, it's fairly cyclical. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it's spot on. We actually just recently released a points of profit calculator on our website to try to help small business owners at least understand those things you mentioned. So do you really understand if you make a couple of changes, put some numbers in this calculator, uh, do you really know what your business model is? Um, once you figure out your business model and your brand, then figure out your technology. So I, I would say, you know, speaking from both sides of the aisle uh, on restaurant ops and tech is the slippery slope that many restaurant operators go down, especially small business owners, uh, is they think that they are going to solve systemic issues within their operation by throwing technology at it. Mm. So somebody that doesn't have a great uh, vision or you know a brand purpose, which I would argue is most small business operators, they don't think of their business in that way, uh, you know, like a, a great hotel chain or a great uh, you know restaurant operator would think about having a vision for their organization. Um, a lot of small business owners are like, hey, I 
really like this kind of food or I've got my family recipes. So I've got the food thing figured out and now I'm going to go open a restaurant and I'm just going to work really hard and try to hire great people. And that's going to equal success. And then when it doesn't, then they get wooed by some technology out there around robotics is, is probably the thing I would point to, right? It's like, we're going to solve the labor shortage by getting a robot that flips hamburgers or makes chips or yeah. <laughs> seats people or uh, serves food on a tray. And unfortunately, I think technology is trying to solve the wrong issues most of the time. Um, many restaurant operators, including large chains, have huge swaths of their workforce that hate doing 10% of their job. And I'm sure you remember, as I do, <laughs> like nobody likes taking inventory. Nobody likes doing an end of the night you know, administrative closeout or counting down a bar drawer, whatever those things are. And technology could easily solve many of those things. And we don't try to solve them because they're not as sexy as talking about robots or drones or, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, that's a really good point. The 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 clerical, it's the administrative stuff that takes so much time. It's the stuff that keeps you there after the restaurant's closed. It's why you're there on a, a Sunday when there's nobody else around. But there are also critical functions to take care of when you want to be on top of your business and make sure that you know your finances are in order and, and whatnot. So that I could see why there would be um, uh, maybe a reluctance to introduce those things because it, just like in the hotel business, there's so many things that are they're just done because that's the way they've always been done, and it's that mentality that prevents pushing the envelope forward from a technology perspective. At the same time, nobody wants to be tip of the spear. Nobody wants to try the new thing to see if it works. They're always waiting for the other guy to try it. Proof of concept, and then maybe I'll jump on board, right? So, you know, when you think about, you know, this, this innovation in the tech space, and you guys are obviously trying to come at it in a different way, what's been the thing that stands in the way? Why has this just been so slow to adopt? And do you think that the conditions are right now like right there, not right now, right, right now to really blow the doors off of this. It really makes some, some, not just business solutions, but things that are going to make it easier, obviously for the owners, but for the staff at the same time, because that that's the big thing. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I do think the time is right. Um, we may be a little early. And the reason I say that is there's still a lot of marketing presence around third-party delivery and robotics and you know QR codes. It's like the the pandemic was the great equalizer for restaurants because this narrative is as a you know even restaurants compared to a hotel property. Restaurants have always been seen as being really far behind on a technology front. Um, you know, retail is kind of tip of the spear. Think about all the incredible things that Amazon has done over the last few years around one-to-one -one customer segmentation and marketing, uh, fulfillment, et cetera. Hospitality has been ahead of restaurants in the sense of um, it's a little simpler because there's a relationship that starts potentially months before the person's actually on site. Whereas restaurants, if they take reservations, get a little bit of customer data maybe the day before. Um, Many people just walk in the door and up until the pandemic, a lot of them still paid with cash and restaurants had no idea who they were. Most people aren't paying a seven, $800 hotel bill in tens and twenties. 
occasionally happens. I'm sure you have stories, but <laughs> you know, it's funny though, is that when they do, that's often a red flag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that that's commonplace in restaurants. And so I, I think as we maybe get out of this narrative of, wow, restaurants have finally caught up from a technology place. Look at how cutting edge and innovative we are. We've got robots and we've got drone delivery. Um, I think virtual and ghost kitchens are probably the the thing that I'm I'm really watching the closest. Many of these fulfillment companies, ghost kitchens, virtual kitchens, have actually started laying people off over the last couple of months. Hasn't been a lot of publicity, but all these things spun up with the idea of like, hey, the U.S. all of a sudden is going to be like India or Asia, um, you know, Japan, where there's mass density and you know, food delivery has been a way of life for 25, 30 years. That may be true in San Francisco, Seattle, New York. Uh, that doesn't represent the vast majority of America. So I think somebody running a restaurant in the Midwest, in a smaller city or a, a small town, they don't care about any of those things I just mentioned. They don't know what a ghost kitchen is, a virtual kitchen, et cetera. They're still feeling some staffing issues. They're still feeling the pain of some of these other things, uh, food costs especially, um, and don't know what to do about it. So I think purchasing intelligence, uh, I think this kind of, I guess I'll, I'll coin it here on your podcast, is culture tech, uh, I think is a really interesting space that nobody is really spending a lot of energy in. There's definitely training technology. There's a couple of great groups um, that that I speak to on that front that are doing some really great things around deskless workforce, uh, SMS-enabled training. Uh, but this kind of broader idea of culture technology, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see because short of going to like a, a fully robotic pizza box <laughs> that has not a single human <laughs> being in it, um, every other restaurant besides that concept requires some human interaction. And yeah. uh, I can speak for myself. I don't want to be replaced by a robot. I want a robot to do my inventory for me at the end of the night. <laughs> I want it to count down my drawer, do all the, the machine learning stuff overnight that I don't want to spend, you know, an hour doing every night when I close the restaurant. Uh, but I don't want it to replace me going and delivering a pizza to a table and looking in people's eyes and seeing the smile and watching them take that first bite and having a one-to-one -one conversation with my guests. Yeah. You bring up a really interesting point. That is something the same sentiment has been true in the hotel space forever, where traditionally front of house guest facing positions have been probably the last to be looked at and talked about as being able to be taken offsite or made remote. Because the, the thought, and I can tell you this, I've been in the boardrooms, I've had these conversations. The thought is that those people are the face of our brand. They need to be there to welcome our guests. The subtext is we think that's what our guests want. So that's why we're going to keep these people here. Meanwhile, little if any customer research is done to find out if that's truly the case. When you hear all of these anecdotal stories and, and, and you experience it where people just want to get their keys and go to their room and not interact with anybody until there's a problem. And I wonder, and so my point in bringing that up is that you know, we're starting to see cracks in that argument about taking 
the front desk and the concierge offsite, making them remote or making them fully automated. And then you just have a call center that you, you deal with if you've got an issue. Do you see room in the restaurant space for that kind of thing to happen with front of house positions? Or is is the nature of the work such and and the fragmentation of styles of restaurant such like like McDonald's has been doing that for a while now, right? They've got order kiosks and all that, but you're never going to go to you know some of the more full service restaurants. I don't, I don't know if it, it works in that environment. I, I'm just curious to get your take on it since you're you're in it right now. It's really interesting. I think where the restaurant industry is going, hotels have been here for a while. So again, we'll go back to the Marriott that I used to work at. <clears throat> or you know you you worked at the Fairmont or you've had guests on that are Ritz Carlton. So we think about those brands as if I'm traveling and staying in a Ritz Carlton with my family, I have a really specific expectation of what that experience is like and I'm there for the experience and I'm willing to pay for it. Do I want some technology conveniences to be seamlessly merged into that experience? Absolutely. I don't want to have to wait in a line to get a towel at the pool. I don't, I don't want to have to wait on hold to talk to a human to order my room service. So there's some, some frictionless things that I can do even in that type of a property. However, when I travel, which I do extensively for work, I'm typically not staying in the Ritz. I'm staying in a, maybe a full service Marriott or a Westin or something like that. I'm not there for the experience. I'm there for a really great bed and for a clean room and for nothing to be wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I'm heavily leaning into technology and I get really frustrated when I go and check in at a Weston and I've already enabled the mobile key on my app and I'd love to just go straight to my room and I'd say 90 plus percent of the time that never works. And then right. I get to go to the front desk and they want to see my ID again. All the things that I hopefully had taken care of and leaned into their technology. <laughs> and, and then that creates a lot of friction. So I think similarly in the restaurant space, we're now seeing this significant dividing line between really experience-driven concepts and convenience-driven concepts. And convenience, when we were kids, used to mean McDonald's. Like It was just really fast commodity right. I didn't really care if it was delicious because it was really cheap and really fast and it, mm -hmm. it met a need. And then when I went out to celebrate, I'd go to my favorite fine dining restaurant for a birthday or anniversary. And I, I think those two have now, convenience has gone up market. So think sweet greens, Chipotle, et cetera, has really pushed the boundary of what we consider convenience. Is it quality? Um, are, are the team members really engaged and smiling, but also heavily leaning into technology? And then fine dining, I think, has come down a little bit and gotten maybe a little more casual yeah. and understands that even though it's an experience, part of that experience is, I, I guess, the changing customer sentiment of, you know, 25-year-old couple going out to celebrate their one-year wedding anniversary. Is, they're probably going to have their phones out. 60-year-old couple that's <laughs> celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary will likely never pull their phones out of their pockets or purse. They're still at the same restaurant and they still have an expectation of an experience. But I, I think being able to flex and 
embed technology that's right for individual guests when they partake in that experience is really going to be a differentiator for restaurants over the next five years. Those that just blanket say, everybody's got to order off a kiosk or go somewhere else. Um, Those aren't going to be sustainable. Yeah, that's the transition phase that you're talking about. That's where we are right now. This transition phase, it, it might be 10 years. As people, as customers get retrained, and they're going to get retrained in many industries, many aspects of life. And slowly those conveniences that they experience doing other things are going to bleed into the the restaurant space, right? They're going to bleed into the hospitality space. They're going to drive the change. But I guess to your point, you can't, with such a wide, a wide um, segment of customers that go to a restaurant and we're still sort of stuck in this trying to be all things to all people phase. And it, it, it that, and that's why this is such a difficult conversation. That's why it's such a different operationally. It's so difficult to figure out what the right thing to do is. Um, I want to talk about culture tech for a second, because this is, I've never heard this term before and I, I love it, you know, online masterclass. If anybody paid any attention <laughs> over the last couple of years, they blasted every, the, you know, TV ads and social media ads everywhere, got all kinds of celebrities to come on to teach you how to do different things. Um, when you, when you mentioned culture tech, can you explain a little bit, and I'm going to lead into some other questions about it, but first off, what are you talking about when you coined that term? And I'm going to say that you coined that term on this show. So I'm going to, Thanks. I'm going to lean into Appreciate that. It. <laughs> you don't see me with my finger doing the registered trademark side. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I think it can mean several things. At its core, what technology companies can do differently today is not building tech for tech people and for CEOs and CFOs. So having been on the buy side uh, for most of my career and being sold technology as a restaurant buyer for a chain, um, I had, now that I'm on the other side, I had to kind of check myself and say, and I could have done more from a culture perspective to not just chalk this POS change up to a, you know, change management. That's an easy phrase to throw around in a, in a boardroom. <laughs> it's yeah, like, oh, right. who's going to lead the change and we'll get <laughs> champions and all, all the buzzwords, oh, yeah. you know, that, that feels really good in, in the executive room. And then, <clears throat> you know, we go out and, and roll this thing out. And if we do it well, which I, I think we did in my, my last go round, um, there's a few naysayers, pretty high adoption rate. And then after three or four months, which is, I think, always been true in restaurant and hotel operations, is the ops people just figure it out. Even if it kind of sucks, <laughs> ops people are, they're just hands-on, like, we're just going to figure this out. And then we get this series of really sneaky workarounds that people stop calling workarounds. And that starts chipping away at culture. We don't even realize it because the ops people celebrate. They're like, yeah, we figured this out. Like we're smarter than the IT folks, right? (laughs) They don't get operations. The problem is that then that workaround becomes a routine. And then all of a sudden there's a thousand workarounds for everything. And all those workarounds in some total create a significant dent in culture. 
And it's really easy to say as an executive, like, hey, my role is to remove barriers and roadblocks and open open up channels and let my team flourish and succeed. Um, but we tend to ignore the thousand little things, which is what makes ops people so great is they do those thousand little things every day, day after day, you know, that, and then that equals consistency. I mean, I'd argue the Fairmont is a perfect example. Like the mantra is like, <laughs> we're going to do this list of things every day, the exact same way forever. And people are going to love that consistency because they know exactly what they're going to get. And in, in technology, you know, having been a buyer of tech, uh, when I mentioned having to look in the mirror a little bit now, like I should have had a server, a bartender, a couple of cooks, a couple of assistant managers. I should have invited them in to do the original POS demo with me and said, hey guys, what concerns do you have about this? But instead, you know, it was me as as the head of IT and you know, I had my CFO in there, my director of ops and you know, because of course we're the smartest people in the room. We're going to make all the decisions <laughs> yep. and then figure out how to change management our way out of it. Um, and I think then now being on the tech supplier side, I understand why that happens because those are the people signing the check. Yeah. And, and so then we build our PowerPoint decks and our sales pitches and our feature lists and all the things to get a CFO excited. And the CFO is not running a shift every day in said restaurant. And that's where I think a lot of the friction comes in and why POS in general has gotten such a bad name. It's not because the POS is terrible. It's that whoever made all the decisions about it weren't the people touching it every single day. They were the people on the receiving end. <laughs> you know, right. and, and that's why I get rail about inventory and these things for hours because I'm like, they're, they're all in service of an executive team offsite that wants to have the help me understand conversation, right? They mm -hmm. want to get flash reports and executive summaries, and they want to be able to get up at 6 a.m. and ride the Peloton bike and then look at their numbers from across the company and pick out outliers. Right. Say, ooh, right. what's happened here, here, here? They're, they're trying to manage remotely, and then that's happening on the backs of the teams that are, you know, executing and trying to run a great shift and take care of their guests. And that's why I mentioned all the, the, the culture tech thing for me is just a complete shift in mentality of how do we service our, our line workers, our cooks, our servers, bartenders, hosts, how do we get them really excited about technology? Cause it's so stinking easy and makes their life easier. And then let them vote and say, Hey CFO, this is the one we like. <laughs> And it, it, could we could we turn that on its head and say, if we were to stop doing these fifty things, my life would be so much easier, and I would love coming to work. And no, you don't have to give me a big signing bonus because I'm just really excited to be here because I like being able to pull out my phone and you know interacting with technology on my terms as an employee here, not walking seventy steps over to a POS terminal logging in with a 17 digit code <laughs> and, and and doing all the extra button pushes because that makes for a better report that the executive team gets to see every day. I can't tell you how many 
memories just flashed into my mind as you were telling me, tell, talking about that. Uh, you know, if you've ever switched POSs in a restaurant uh, and not involved your team in the process, the next time you do it, you will involve your team in the process. The, just the conversations about what's on what screen and this used to be here and now it's over here and this doesn't make like you you have to involve the people in the change especially of the tools that they use every single day to do their jobs and i i love that you brought that up because when i was on the front lines it there was oftentimes a sense that we're doing things because it's a make work project it's a project that somebody at the corporate office has rolled out and now they're responsible for it. And now they're going to make sure that this thing is successful. So they're just going to like be on it like a dog, right? Every single day. Meanwhile, on the front line, on, on a day to day basis, none of it makes any sense. And if anything, it makes life more difficult. It's harder for people to do their jobs. And you're, I love that you said that's where the workarounds come in. It's so true. And the workarounds get trained to new hires. And that, that stuff just permeates. And then once it's in, you can't get rid of it. That you've got a major issue on your hands. So I, I think this is this this idea of of culture check culture tech and I love that you brought that up. I'm, I'm thinking about a million things right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would I would add too that that's one part of it. When I think culture tech too, I also think about what's beyond an LMS because that that's where kind of culture um, technology, I think has lived for the last few years. Is Learning management we, system. If anybody yeah, doesn't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It, we've digitized 180 page training manual. And yeah. I would argue like through technology, how do we make that a four page training manual and not just yeah. try to digitize or technologize our way from a manual process that we did. And now great. It's on a screen. So good for us. We're now leaning into tech. Yeah, And then we look around, they're like, well, how come our labor costs haven't gone down? We bought all this technology. <laughs> you know, how come our turnover hasn't gone down? Because <laughs> they're still reading a 158-page yeah. PDF it's just, instead of a binder. Yeah, yeah. well, it's because it's, again, uh, looking in the mirror, it's people like me that were making those decisions, assuming that I knew what a 21-year-old wanted. I was like, oh, he or she just wants this to be on a touchscreen. We'll throw it on an iPad, and that's a win. And because we we didn't really understand uh, that we weren't willing to change how we'd always done things in order to embrace technology. Yeah. It's like we're trying to we're saying, hey, our process has worked for the last twenty years. We just now need to modernize it, quote unquote, by getting a new piece of tech or this thing that used to live on an on-prem server is now in the cloud. And so, cheers to us. But then we didn't realize like. Well, when the cloud doesn't work, oh yeah, oh, what my God. kind of pain does that cause for our team running the operation? I'm not going to call out the biggest cloud services tech provider in the hospitality space right now for those issues, but <laughs> if anyone's experienced it, yeah, yeah, you're 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 often just trading one set of problems for another if you don't do your your due diligence there. There's no doubt. Um, let me ask you this: you know the the two drivers for affecting profitability in restaurants, food cost and labor cost. Those are the two things right now that are in everybody's inboxes on the news, inflation, rising wages. 
uh, I don't think it's hyperbole to say it's murdering the small, uh, it's probably the large restaurants too, but you know, they may be able to withstand the storm more than small restaurants that have just gone through the last two years and still for some reason have their doors open by some miracle. So that's where the rubber meets the road here for me. And I think for a lot of listeners is sure tech is great, but I have these two things that are killing the business right now. I don't know. First of all, I don't have the money to spend on some sort of technology. And number two, I don't know how a, a new tech solution, and maybe we could talk about what those tech solutions are, is going to help me. And at the same time, I don't have the bandwidth to even implement anything. So maybe maybe take that ball and run with it. What are, what are the things here that that those independent restaurants should be thinking about that can help them maybe see the other side of the argument here and give them some hope? in implementing something that's going to help. To your point about independent restaurants, I think for this conversation, this applies across all restaurants, maybe with the exception of, we'll, we'll call it a Yum Brands, McDonald's, like the mass enterprise. But even really large national brands, uh, I think can run with the same playbook. Number one, um, technology has become way more accessible from a financial perspective. So because of payments, which is how most restaurant technology providers supplement their revenue and don't have to charge a restaurant $400 a month just for the software, um, that allows for restaurant operators to actually get some really nice technology at a a fairly reasonable monthly rate, if you think about it that Mm -hmm. way. Um, they're not having to write a large you know, $25,000 check up front to buy a POS system anymore. Um, if you've got twenty five grand sitting in the bank and that makes sense for your business, great, go for it. I'm not saying that, that doesn't still apply, but it's not necessary. Think about like buying a, a really nice late model used car versus leasing a new car. Same concept. If you got 20 grand sitting in the bank and you want to get yourself a nice, you know, 2018 Lexus, go for it. (laughs) If you want the 2021 version, but you don't have $80,000 sitting next to you, you can still lease that and you're paying it out. So similarly with technology, uh, it's become somewhat of a commodity from a hardware and software perspective. And a lot of technology used to be out of reach for independence is now fairly easily accessible. So think handheld devices, which is my segue into a couple of examples of really affecting costs and labor, uh, food costs and labor costs. So the the handheld device, I think, is probably one of the best uh, innovations in the restaurant space in the last many years. And the the handheld device is essentially a small handheld version of a point of sale system. Mm -hmm. And like spot on and and a lot of our competitors have a similar version, which a server can keep it in their apron. They can walk up to a table and ring up an order if they like table site. Um, that may not work for every style of operation. It may seem off-putting for a fine dining establishment. Um, but we've actually seen versions where uh, there's a couple of companies that embed a payment screen inside of a folio. Yeah. So it it doesn't feel out of place even in a fine dining restaurant. So there's some of those mobile technologies that essentially those are 
trying to keep a server from having to take thousands of extra steps per shift just to transact. So running a credit card, ringing in a, a second glass of wine, whatever that may be, they can do that within their section and not have to walk all the way back to where the POS terminal happens to be. Um, especially great for large venues or an outdoor uh, facility that's got a large patio. That's always the worst because nobody's got a POS terminal sitting outside of a patio. <laughs> so servers have the busiest section, mm-hmm. most demanding folks that are drinking the fastest, and they've got to walk the furthest to go ring something in a POS terminal. And manage a heavy door. Yeah, and that. <laughs> Try not to drop everything on the way out. Right. And so <clears throat> that's an example of, you know, from a cost perspective, you can get two of these handheld devices. Again, we'll call it 25 bucks a month per device. Um, if you want to pay it out over three years or two years or however you want to structure that. And you could potentially have three fewer servers in a larger venue because they're able to serve three extra tables each provide, in theory, quicker service because you're eliminating a lot of the extra steps, extra mm-hmm. process involved in serving that table. Um, it, I, I like to think of it kind of the digital version of what fine dining restaurants were 20 years ago when you had a captain and you know you had a team that was servicing a larger section. Mm-hmm. And all the captain did was just walk around and say, you know, hey, Mr. Pryor, good to see you again. <laughs> um, it, they had like kind of the, the concierge job, right? They, yeah. But they weren't running back to the kitchen. And then fast forward into casual dining, um, you know, where, where I really got into the business in the mid-90s. And they wanted us to be captains plus the food runners. And that was the evolution of team service. Mm-hmm. And it was all this teamwork and everybody serving every table. That was really cool until um, consumers got to be way, door, way more demanding. And then some of the service concepts didn't work because they couldn't staff 40 people on a Friday night right. in the front of house. And so fast forward to today, I think technology is, can be that equalizer, can potentially you know, reduce you from needing, we'll call it seven servers, potentially getting away with five. Um, and I say getting away with in a positive way, meaning those servers are going to make more money if it's a tipped employee. They're providing better service to the guests and the business owner is shaving a little bit of margin because that's two people they don't need in the front of house. Mm-hmm. Flipping the back of house, similarly, uh, you know, a, a really good kitchen display system is, I think, a game changer for many small business owners. They used to be kind of out of reach for most independent restaurants. You saw mm-hmm. them at McDonald's as an example. Like, wow, look at all the buttons and yeah. the timers and everything going off. Those are now pretty much available from any POS company at at a really nominal charge. Hmm. And so uh, an independent restaurant can get a kitchen display system, again, potentially because somebody's not trying to organize tickets or running around sticking tickets up on different, you know, check rails, et cetera, managing which one's going first, second, third, looking at the time, stamping them. I've seen in some restaurants uh, with a little timestamp, uh, you eliminate all that process again you could likely get away with maybe cutting one cook off of that production team creating a better team member experience because there's less chaos in the kitchen and then in theory fewer mistakes as well because there's less chaos mm-hmm. and that's you know 
a small business owner isn't going to affect their chicken price because they're not a large enough buyer to really have a lot of say over negotiating you know, their chicken commodity prices. Yeah. What they can do is they can eliminate waste. They can eliminate mistakes. Um, they can take a lot of care to make sure that anything that's within their control inside the four walls, that they're taking advantage of that and shaving margin in all those areas, both front and back of house. And I suppose that's the point here where something that doesn't get talked about in operations is that steps mean time. And time means enough bodies to service whatever the thing is that you're doing. And so it's a quick calculation of like, how long does it take to do a job? Can you reduce steps? And if you can reduce steps, then you can reduce time and then you don't need as many people. And if you can do that while maintaining a high level of service, then ideally you're ahead of the game. And we don't talk about that a lot. The, the staffing issues right now are, you know, you talk about, you know, probably get rid of, you know, two or three servers, maybe, maybe a, a cook or a production, like a, uh, a prep cook, something like that in a, in a restaurant, you know, in a lot of cases right now, those, those jobs are vacant anyway. So if you've got people running around taking the same amount of steps that they were before, uh, because you don't have the right tools in place, you're really struggling right now. So just making the job easier by having the right tools is going to take a lot of that pressure off. And I, I think you bring up a, a really excellent point there. Um, ben, I, I think that there's a lot of directions that we could take this conversation. And, and I'd love to talk with you again somewhere down the road uh, about maybe some evolutions as, as you see this start to really get out into the hands of operators and, and what the real world experience is like now that we're we're coming out of this thing. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, if anybody wants to learn more about you or spot on, where should they go? Yeah, for me, uh, I'm active uh, in the restaurant technology network uh, as part of uh, the MerTech conference. Uh, and we do a lot of industry-wide uh, work groups, et cetera, to try to solve some of these issues for not just chains, uh, but also for small independents. Uh, so if you're in the restaurant hospitality space, there's actually a, a hospitality version of that as well. Uh, it's run by Hospitality Technology Magazine, and uh, <clears throat> they've got a hotel group. I'm part of the restaurant group. Uh, if you're in the business and looking uh, to be involved and, and get to be a part of some thought leadership and conversations, uh, highly recommend that. I'm active on LinkedIn as well. You can look me up there. Uh, and then spoton.com is our website. I mentioned that points of profit calculator. If somebody wants to download, check that out. Uh, they can find that on our website there at spoton.com as well. That's great. Well, Ben, I appreciate you coming on the show today and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Yeah. Thank you. It was great. This was my episode with Ben Pryor. You can learn more about Spot On at spoton.com and you can find Ben on LinkedIn. I'll link to everything in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at The Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to The Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.